Uh, just a minute, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I um, uh, really, really want to encourage you guys. Gary mentioned it in class this morning. Beginning this next week, uh, we're going to be in, in Romans chapter 8, and we're just going to spend some time in the chapter, uh, in this chapter of Romans. So I have these pages in the back, um, and it is front and back. You are looking at 39 verses. And so the challenge to the congregation, and I'm going to do some things to kind of help us with this, but I really want to challenge you to memorize this. I mean, memorize the entire chapter. And I don't know if any of you have memorized something this long before, but there's some tricks I'm going to share with you. Um, whenever I go on bike rides or I'm in my car, I listen to Romans 8 right now over and over and over and over again on audio. And I, we have put together an audio that I'm going to share on our website with Romans 8 that's many of you actually reading uh, for it. Uh, but I really want to encourage you to try to do that. Gary uh, mentioned something in class that was super important. Um, memorization can be done for totally the wrong reasons, right? You can memorize something to show off, to be arrogant, to, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's, uh, people look down on memorizing things today, they'll say, well, you don't have to memorize everything in the Bible to be a Christian. Totally true. Absolutely. But there is so much beauty in meditation on God's word. There is so much beauty on it. Um, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the first verse. When I'm memorizing something, I have to listen to it over and over again. Do you know how many times I've heard that verse? You know, it, just because you keep going. And it's beautiful that God is, is hopefully penetrating that into, into my heart when I'm reading that. When I was younger, um, I, I, I sat down and I said, I'm going to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And I was pretty young when I did that. And, and I memorized it the same way with rote. You just keep go over and over and over again in your mind. And it got to the point where I could, I could say it without thinking about it. And that's super important that you hear what I'm saying, that, that you could say it without thinking about it. It's just there, just like the alphabet or anything else. It's there. And that's not a good thing in a lot of ways. I remember when I was in school, one of my teachers said um, that you would get full credit for the class on, on uh, the life of Christ or Matthew. It was something like that. If you could memorize the Sermon on the Mountain. I just boldly walked into his office that afternoon and he said, well, I got it. And, and, and I did. I started quoting it to him there, you know, seeing the multitudes who went up mountain. And I quote it like this. Uh, he went up on the mountain, was a seat. His disciples came to him and spoke to him saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven, blessed more, for they should become for blessed meek, for they shall inherit the, and, and the whole thing. And he stopped me in the middle of it and he was teared up. And I was like, man, I got him teared up. And he said, get out of my office now. <laughs> he said, don't ever do that to God's word again, ever. And I loved it. It was one of the greatest teachings I ever received. And he said, I want you to come back and say it in a way that glorifies your father and does not glorify you. Wow. His name's Charles Spear. I'm going to use his name because he was that important to me. Um, when he said what he said. And it's so true that when you're in a book like Romans, Gary said it well this morning, and Nathan really reiterated the same thoughts in, in what he said. I could look at the book of Romans and think systematic theology. I could think justification, and I could think election, and I could think of all these doctrines that are debated. But he said this, but there is a point where it was personalized for me. This book became personal. And it shook me when I realized that the first thing I ever remember memorizing was, was the Sermon on the Mount. 
And the entire sermon is about humility. The entire sermon is about don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father. Don't, don't, when you fast, you know, I want you to anoint your head and wash your face. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The entire thing is about humility. And somehow you're able to memorize something, say it, and not get it. You hear what I'm saying? You can say it, but you don't get it. And in this parable that Jesus is telling about, about the good soil, and, and like what I'm, I'm asking of you, he says this, it's the one who receives it. And he uses this word that means puts it together, gets it, internalizes it. And so you can understand the parable without getting it. Does that make sense? You can actually understand it, but not get it. You totally understand what he's saying. It's not difficult, but you don't internalize it is the problem. You haven't made sense of it, and you haven't connected this to your own life. And that's when the Word of God becomes powerful, when you make a connection with it. And so I want to pray both about our time in the book of Romans, and I want to pray about the message this morning. And I just want to, I want to ask God that we would humble our hearts before him and, and really allow this to be something that we don't simply understand in our minds, but something that we've connected our life to. Um, let's go ahead and offer that before God in prayer. Um, God, I just want to come before you, and, and I ask God that you would continue to cultivate this soil, that you would not allow us to be hard or arrogant or lift ourselves up, uh, but that you would be exalted in everything that we are. Um, I praise you, Father for the manner in which um, you have come as a servant, as a shepherd. And I pray that you would manifest that in your people and in your church today. And I pray that you give us the wisdom to know what it means to follow Jesus, what it is to wear his name and to be a disciple. That you would take the weeds of arrogance out of our life and all of the worries of this world. Um, I praise you uh, for the message this morning, and I ask that I don't get in the way of it. It's in Christ's name I come before you. Amen. Um, last week we talked about the uh, the part of the parable where he he's, uh, he says that uh, those the seed that was sung among, uh, that was sown among the weeds it, they represent the worries of this life. And and I learned something that was really interesting. I had to check with Melanie a second ago where our English word worry comes from. It comes from the German word, and my pronunciation is pretty dead on here. Vergen. Am I good? Vergen? Vergen? Okay. Vergen. And it means to choke. How about that? That word means to choke. Suck the life out. Our English word worry comes from a word that means, Old English too, choke and suck the life out of something. And I was thinking, that's crazy to me that Jesus uses that exact analogy. He says, the worries of this life suffocate you, choke you, cause the, the gospel not to be fruitful in you. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And so when we get into the good soil, man, which is, this is, this is by far, obviously, this is the point of the parable. I want to put this in the context of what's been happening and share with you something that I think, I, I think I, w- I was really excited about it this morning and I hope you are too. This is what's been happening. This is when he says this parable. And this is so critical when you're looking at, you know, anything that Jesus says. What's happening around him? So in the synoptics, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is what's been going on. 
And back in chapter 11, John the Baptist comes to him or sends messengers to him. And he says, listen, are you the one that was supposed to come or not? And you remember Jesus' response to him? It's a strange response. He says, the deaf hear, the blind see, the, the lame walk. And, and then he goes on, he says this, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. And I used to think what he was saying was this. Of course I'm the one. Look at the miracles that are being performed. I must be the Christ, right? Look at the miracles. The problem with that interpretation of what's happening right there is this. Uh, It's not a miracle that the poor have the gospel preached to them. That wouldn't be something that you would look at and say, well, that's miraculous. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. My kingdom did not come to the elite. It didn't come to the, those that were, were walking around in their robes anticipating the king and they would sit on thrones alongside of him. No, my kingdom has come to the poor, to the lame, to the hurting. In fact, that's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should become meek. He goes on through all of these things and it's saying this. These are the people I have come to. This is, this is where the kingdom is. To those that are hurting, that are desperate, that are on their knees and not to the proud, not to those that have exalted themselves. And this is exactly what's been going on. And then Jesus says this about the Pharisees and all these people that had been rejecting his message. To what shall I compare this generation? This is in that same chapter. You're like kids in a marketplace. And you're saying this, I sang sang a, a dirge and you didn't mourn. I played a song and you didn't dance. I don't, I don't understand it. And then he says this, because John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking and you said he has a demon. And then I came eating and drinking and you said, oh, look, he's a glutton and a drunk. And basically Jesus is saying this, it doesn't matter how I come or what I say. Your heart is hard. You've rejected me. And you've rejected John and it doesn't really matter. Your heart is calloused. In the next chapter, again, they call Jesus a demon. And this is Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if you were one of the people that was fishing there and Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these guys are all fishing and you're one of the ones that you could have followed, but you didn't. Can you imagine that? And, and, and the option, if you were living at that time in history, he's right there. You have a relationship with him, but you're not going to do that. You're going to fish instead or whatever's happening. And you have that option. This, is, this has been haunting my mind this morning. And, and there's this, this is what ends up happening. John the Baptist is beheaded. Christ stands up and he says, man, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? And he talks about how great John the Baptist was. And then the very next thing that happens is Jesus praises God for the strangest thing ever that you could never get away with praising God for in a church today. After everyone has rejected him, After the scribes and the Pharisees, and he just says, this is what's going on. And then he says, woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, and woe to you, Capernaum. And and he, he says, everyone's rejected me. And then he says this in Matthew 11, 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. And after everyone has rejected his message, you would think, I would walk away rejected. If I preached a sermon here this morning, probably my pride, but if I preached a sermon this morning and everybody in here just said, meh, I don't care, I would walk away and say, man, I'm a failure. 
Jesus, everyone has rejected his message, and he says, I praise you, Father. Not that they have rejected the message. That's what I thought he was saying yesterday when I was reading this. I was like, wow, that's really weird. But he's saying this. I praise you, Father, not that the camel cannot enter the kingdom. I praise you, Father, that the camel has to get on his knees to enter the kingdom. I praise you, Father, that this is how you've come, and this is how your kingdom has come, that a man must get on his knees and be humbled and become like a child to enter your kingdom. I praise you that this is the way it is, is what he's saying. But in every single chapter here, there is an, there is an instance of this. Jesus is saying, I've hidden this from somebody. God, you have withheld this from somebody. And in this very parable, Jesus says the same thing. He said, they said, why are you speaking to him in parables? And we have always said, I mean, I have always said, he spoke in parables to make complex truths a little bit more palatable, a little more simple. And Jesus says, that's not why I'm speaking in parables. No, I, I speak in parables so that seeing they won't see, that hearing they won't hear. And it's keeping in theme with what he said in every chapter. I need you to humble yourself so that you can hear this word. I need you to bring, bring yourself back to a cultivated soil that is humble, that is willing to accept this word uh, from me. So I got a letter uh, just yesterday. Um, someone sent me a really beautiful note. And I want to tell you um, who this is and, and why this meant so much to me before I get into this uh, last part of the parable. A few years ago, I was walking down this hall on a Sunday morning, and a girl walked by me going the other direction, and I recognized her. But I didn't know who she was, and that happens to me all the time. I'm terrified of running into most of you outside of a church context. And I was walking down the hall, and we made eye contact, and it was so awkward, because normally I would say hi to a visitor. If, you know, we're in the hall and I don't know the person, I'm going to say hi. But you don't say hi if you think you know them because now I'm scared I'm going to offend them because I don't know who you are. So I just walked by and we looked at each other like that and then we kept walking. And I was like, that was so uncomfortable. And then I went in the foyer and I was like, who is that? Who is that? And I was, then I come back in and my wife is talking to her. I'm like, well, it is somebody I know. Now I feel horrible. So I walked back in and her name's Jenny and... Um, from way back when we were, um, uh, we were young, I knew this girl and, um, I've been just blown away this last week a couple of times by the power of the gospel in somebody's life. And I'm going to share with you what she wrote to me because when you hear somebody's story, and you see what God has done through the most serious, oh, the most painful things. And you see where God has led you. And Gary talked about it this morning. And when you understand that the gospel is no longer something that I go to church so I can walk on streets of gold someday. The gospel is my life. It, he saved me. He's changed me. This is what she says. And she, I got, got her permission to share this. There are different times in my life that represent all of these different plantings, these soils. The seed that fell on fertile ground represents my life after I had tried things my way. When I was finally willing to listen to God, do what he wanted me to do, my life changed. It was hard work. Growing is not an easy thing to do, which is why it's called growing pains. 
I had to take each and every day and try my best, my ability to change the soil that I was growing in. The weeds were uprooted and the young herding plant was protected. Now, this is important. She, I skipped the part of her writing where she just went through every phase of her life and said, I was the hard soil that the seed could not penetrate when I was a kid. And then I was the soil where the weeds choked out my life. I couldn't breathe because of, of these, the, everything that was going on. I was the one that when, when I knew her, when Melinda knew her, I was the one who got excited about the gospel, but it just couldn't last. It couldn't bear fruit because I kept going back to me. And then she goes on and says this, God uprooted the weeds in my life. She, he protected this hurting plant. I had to see the people were trying, uh, who were there trying to help me. If you are in a field of weeds, this was so powerful when she said this, If you're in a field of weeds, you cannot see the other plants trying to yield a good harvest. You look at the church, you look at other people, and all you can see is, man, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. That's all people are, and you can't see the good because of the lens in your own life. He surrounded me with good plants. I had to open my eyes and and heart to these good people in order to survive. God has always been in my life. He's never changed. I was the one. I was the one that had to be receptive. I was one in charge of my life and my destination. God was steady and willing to help. He is my life. He gives me life. Since I finally gave my life over to God, things in my life have turned out better than I could have ever imagined, even if bad things happen to me. And this is a girl, this is why it means so much to me, has gone through major health issues, has gone through so much since that time. And she says this, even if bad things happen to me, even if weeds start to surround me once again, I will never be that tender shoot unable to live. And I could just hear Psalm 1 in my mind. You know, that man that is planted by streams of water, that seed, that tree, it bears fruit in season and out of season. It doesn't matter. Because God's given me root. I can, I'm strong. I can stand now. It doesn't mean, right? It doesn't mean health and wealth. It doesn't mean life is going to get better. It doesn't mean death and hard times and cancer and all these things aren't going to hit me. What it means is this. I have a hope that is so secure that that stuff doesn't phase me as much now. I can go through those things knowing that there's something bigger, something that is stronger in my life. She said that to me, and it meant the world to me. And again last night, I was so touched because I had a uh, a couple have us over for dinner, and, and they live south of Colorado Springs, so I had a good drive for dinner last night and a good drive coming home. And they thought they'd surprise me by letting me know that their next-door neighbors know me. And I was like, I hate that kind of surprise. Cause, um, so I pull up in the driveway, and their next-door neighbors walk up to me, and this guy comes up to me and goes, how are you doing? And I was like, wow, you are way too friendly, man. And he just, and I said, I'm good, man. It's been a good week. And he says, do you know who I am? And I hate that question. Never ask me that question. I don't care how well you know me. Um, do you know who I am? And I sat there for a second. I was like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to take a stab at this because I think I know. have not seen this guy since I was a kid, really. Uh, Skeeter? And that's what we used to call him, the Skeeter. That was his nickname. And then it was just so exciting that I got it right. Um, but it was exciting that 
I found out about his life. We were talking later that like, he's leading worship in a church. And I was like, man, I want to sit down with him sometime and see what happened. How did God take a hold of you? What happened in your life that led you to this place where God is exploding in you? you know, what is it? And talking with some of you in here, um, and I was talking with one of, one of you this morning, just talking about how life, the pains of life, the hard time, whatever it was in life, what is it that, that caused the soil of your heart to open up to it? To let something like this and to be able to cry when you talk about the book of Romans instead of puff out your chest. What is it, what is it that happened that made you internalize this and made this something real in you? Um, the trick here for me, and this is important that I say this when I think about soil and I think about protecting this plant, um, is that it's never final. And I know that sounds daunting, but I guess growing up, a lot of us had this idea uh, that, and I remember this, that I, growing up at the University Avenue Church of Christ in Austin, Texas, was the first church I remember. And I remember as a little kid thinking, Someday I'm going to have to go up front and get baptized. And some of y'all who grew up in the church remember that you're terrified about that one day that you're going to step out into the aisle. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. And then and you have to do that lonely, terrifying walk. And and I did that when I was a kid. And I walked up all the way up to the front of the church, and the guy came to greet me, and I ran back to my seat. And I'll never forget doing that when I was a kid and thinking, man, how terrifying this is. But it's like that one day in your life. And let me tell you, man, that is what the Bible teaches. And I'll stand by all day long. Baptism is man's covenant with his God. Baptism is life. When I baptize my life into Christ, I'm clothed with Christ. Baptism saves you. I know that. But it's also not one event in your life and then move on. Baptism is a way you live. Not an event. It's something you're baptized into. Which means, even when I give my life and covenant to God, just like marriage, just like anything else, what can tend to happen in my life? The soil that used to be soft and receptive starts getting hard. And again, I have to come to the cultivator of soil. I have to come to him and say, God, don't let my heart leave that place. Don't let it change. It's not simply an event in my life. It's a life that I've been baptized into that counts. And the reason that's so important to me is because when I read Jenny's letter, I was like, here's this terrifying thing. All of these things are true about me as well. But they're all true of me after I became a Christian. I can talk about all of those soils after I gave my life to Christ. And I was like, God, why is it? That I know what you've done for me. It says in Hebrews 2, um, we must pay more careful attention. How about this? We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, he says this, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? And, and for Paul, it's like, do you understand the gold that he's given to you? Do you understand what this is that you've been invested with? Do you get this? Don't forget it. 
Don't let me go, and I've said it so many times in here, don't let me go from being that tax collector that said, that beats his breast and says, God, I can't even lift my eyes up to you, man. I'm not worthy to be called your son, kind of. And how is it that I came from that to being the Pharisee overnight? Why is it that there's this tendency to change, to get calloused, to get mean, the fruits of the Spirit, all gone? Replaced with arrogance, replaced with cruelty, replaced with bitterness, replaced with hostility, replaced with division, replaced with all that junk in my life and all those weeds. How is it that that takes place? And what's crazy to me, and what I got so excited about this morning when I got into this parable, I want to talk about who he was talking to when he says this, and then I'll close out. He says this about the seed that falls on the good soil. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. When he spoke this parable, did you know that there are three people that the text says were listening to this? And this blew my mind, okay? This is the verse that immediately precedes um, the parable in Luke chapter 8. Um, Verses 2 through 3, this is what it says. Also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and disease. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. And Susanna, many others. And then it even says this. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So you, <laughs> you just said this parable to the wife of the manager of all of Herod's house. She's sitting at your feet supporting this financially. What had she just witnessed? Just a couple of chapters earlier, whether she was already a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, this woman, Joanna, she had just witnessed her father, her, not her father, her, her, her husband's master, really, um, murder John the Baptist. Had his head brought, brought to him on a platter. This is what had just taken place. She had seen the corruption of wealth. She'd seen the corruption of everything that happened in the empire. She'd seen what everything that Jesus was saying is, I don't care what you're chasing after in this life. It's sick and it ends in death. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet when he says this. And I love that because... I'm always thinking, man, Jesus' gospel came to the poor, to the hurting, to the leper, to the blind man. This is his audience. And I love the story of Paul. And I love the story of Joanna because I hear this. The rich, the wealthy, those who their life is, you're living in palaces, you've got it made. You're brought to the same Lord when you're brought to your knees. You're brought to the same salvation when you're brought to your knees. And everything, and this is going to be a major theme when we're in the book of Romans, what the Jew and the Gentile have in common, what the weakest person in here and the strongest person in here have in common, whatever your history is. You come in here and you're thinking, these are church people that grew up memorizing Bible, and I'm not that person. These are people that their families are perfect, and I'm not that person. And whatever it is, what we all have in common is one thing. We are desperately in need of God's grace. Desperately in need. And the poorest person in here is in no more need of God's grace than the richest person in here. 
and the most sinful person, whatever that means, in here is not in more need of God's grace than the person that thinks they might have the less, least sin. We are desperate before God. That's so important when we come to this parable of the soils. It's so important that we get that. There's an old Irish proverb that says this. Um, the man who has God and everything else is no wealthier than the man who has God and nothing else. To have God and to have nothing else is to have everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> to have everything else in this life and to not have God is to have nothing. And I see this parable and I, I'm still trying to dig into it in my own soul, my own heart as to what this means and what the fruit means in my life or in another person's life. But I was convicted of this when I was praying about this and what I would say this morning. I was convicted of this. In the end, it's about humility. In the end, it's about a soil that has to remain cultivated before God so that you don't think higher of yourself than you ought to. That you continually receive the word, continually receive the word of grace and of salvation and what that means to you. And the end result in what each of us has to do, and this is hard, is I have to continually evaluate my life and simply look at what Jesus said. He says, man, a, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. It's not in its nature. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It's just not in its nature. And if all of a sudden I'm looking at my life and the fruit of the Spirit isn't there, and I no longer see the image of Christ being molded in me, I can't simply say, well, when I was a teenager, I got excited and I went into covenant with my God in baptism. I need to look at today and say, have I made a decision today to be baptized into Christ? Today. And I'm it's something I'm willing to humble myself and say, God, I need you to rework this soil it terrifies me, and I guess it, it comforts me in a way, that Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter, and the greatest heroes that I know in Scripture, all of these men were accused of being arrogant. All of these men were accused of having demons. All of them were accused of that. How about that? But Jesus stood before him and he said, a tree will be recognized by its fruit. And um, I pray for God's church today because we are the... Man, Francis Chan has been bringing this out, and it's so powerful on Wednesdays. I hope you're able to come be a part of the series we're doing with Francis Chan. But he, he reminded us of this. We are the body of Christ. That's crazy, man. We are the body of Christ. And when people look at the church today, we should expect the same response. People called Christ arrogant. They're probably going to call us that too. But what terrifies me is this. I look at the church today and I don't always see Christ. 
I don't always see that. And sometimes when I look at the church today and I look at what's known as the church today, and I, I'm really trying to move away from being too pessimistic about things and things in my life. I'm working on that. But it does seem commercial. And it does seem more growth-oriented than Christ-oriented. Those are some fears I have. And if in this world, regardless of whether we grow or don't grow, as Meadowlark or God's kingdom in Fort Collins, however we're going to look at it, if we're not representing Christ in our spirits, then I don't want to grow. I think it's foolishness. But if we're representing Christ then there's nothing we can do to get in the way of his spirit. And his spirit is powerful. And it's changing lives in this room. And it's changing lives in Fort Collins. And I'm humbled and honored to be a part of what that is. And I believe we are part of that. My Father, I just want to come to you and and I want to beg you that you cultivate the soil in, in our hearts continually. Um, God, I'm not trying to be emotional or make people cry or do anything like that. I'm just trying to be honest before you. And I'm not trying to speak before men. I'm trying to speak before you right now. And I ask God that if there's soil that seems rock hard, I pray God as a master farmer that you would break that soil up, that you'd fertilize us and that you'd make us something that represents you in this world. Um, I ask God um, not for anything else other than your spirit would be powerful in this body and in our lives, that you would keep us on our knees and that um, we would be, uh, like Jenny talked about, we would be that tree that regardless of what's ahead, regardless of what happens, is unshaken, is unmoved. Uh, because your spirit is in us and we are deeply rooted in you. I love you, Father, so much for the wisdom of Christ. Not just for what he spoke then, but what he continues to speak even now. His voice is loud and your voice is loud in us and I praise you for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship our God.